Let one swallow be the trigger. Keep the lid on. Let it simmer. Keep it white hot till you're ready. Melt to the core of the liver. Hello and welcome. I am William Morgan and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. Today we climb another rung closer towards the tree fort. Music Fest, happening March 20th through 23rd in downtown Boise, Idaho. You can look forward to more discussions from our March Music Showcase with the likes of Disco Doom, Story Grub, Iska Daft, and St. Seneca. Uh, Stay up to date with the showcase by joining our Facebook event, which you can find by liking us on Facebook. Uh, Today is March 12th, and we call it a process. And peel away the excess. Good morning, Douglas Bowles here, and today on 42 Minutes, we're traveling to Austin for South by Southwest to meet Yvette. And let's just pause. Do you say, like, Yvette with an E, or is there more Y in there when you guys say it? Uh, It usually fluctuates. I try not to think about it too much, so it's really whatever you feel comfortable with. Okay, I've been saying, I've been giving it a little bit of Y and just saying Yvette. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's still the difference. Okay. Great, yeah. Nonetheless, they've recently been called the best noise band in Brooklyn, like New Order having a bad trip in a hardware store. (laughs) Yvette is a duo consisted of Noah, Cardos Fine, and Dale Isinger, and a barrage of rolling toms and sub-bass triggers processed guitar noise and monk-like incantations. They make deeply spiritual, wildly wildly aggressive noise music in the tradition of early post-punk and industrial artists like Throbbing Gristle, Cabaret Voltaire, and this heat in what has been called a well-structured chaos that is a, a noise molded into the contours, if not sound, of pop music, offering an accessible entry point into a world of ugly brutalism. Most recently, their debut record, Process, has been making the rounds on many best of 2013 lists, including Sasha Frere Jones from The New Yorker. Yvette will be making their Tree Fort Music Fest debut Thursday, March 20th at 8 p.m. at the El Cora Shrine, which is an all-ages venue and free for kids under 12 with parents. We're very pleased to be speaking with Noah and Dale today. Thanks, thanks for joining us, guys. I, uh, as I yeah, said, we've been having technical problems. Um, what does that mean to a band like you, where a portion of... <laughs> oh, that was do you guys, do you guys just run segment. with the problems? Do you guys just have a technical problem that becomes the sound? Um, there's usually a moment of extreme stress and worry, at least on my part, where you're trying to figure out what the problem is and how to fix it. So there's a moment of panic, um, and then... Yeah, you either have to go with it or kind of improvise and move on to something else that that doesn't require you to, you know, depend on whatever is having the technical problems. Um, As a drummer, I feel lucky to to be able to play an acoustic instrument that can sound right with this music and not have to worry about something that can fall apart electronically or not have the right power supply or something like that. So on my end, it's more about making sure Noah is comfortable with whatever's about to break down. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is that, so the first time I listened to the record, I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is interesting, 
but I really thought that a lot of the noises were computer generated but the the more I listened to it the more I realized that you know these are still it's still a guitar it's just you process it differently on various songs is am, am I right yeah. in that uh yeah for the most part I mean there there's absolutely no no computer we don't use any computers live we we don't use any sampling live the the whole idea at least of of the live show and you know and to an extent in the recordings which which are meant to kind of reproduce a lot of the live experiences that we we want things to be as live as possible and uh, as spontaneous as possible. So that means, you know, because when when you use a sampler or a computer, it's relatively predictable, and you end up having the same show every night in a sense. Um, you're probably going to be on the same, you know, BPM or the same sounds exactly, and and so that's something that we really wanted to avoid to because. You know, each show should feel a little bit different. It should be an exciting thing that you want to go to that only happens in that room for that night um, and can't necessarily be reproduced again. So, uh, yeah, every everything that we do is is live. Um, a lot of those sounds are going through a lot of pedals using a guitar and a microphone. Um, and on on Dale's end, we we have a a drum trigger, like a contact mic that's triggering a drum synth uh, going into some pedals. And we also have like another synthesizer that's playing tones. And I imagine you guys get a pretty good response at your live shows. There's a real energy in the music. Yeah, I mean, um, if if people aren't, you know, dancing to the rhythm, then at least they're holding their ears. So one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, this this brings up a good point that I wanted to talk to you guys about. And uh, I'm not sure, I mean, if you view it the same way, but noise band almost sounds like a derogatory uh, label for what you guys do. I mean, there is beauty. There is melody in there. It is, do you feel the same way or do you hold the mantle of noise band high? Well, noise noise band, is, I think, is a, is a phrase that people who don't want to understand dissonance or atonality like to throw around as a pejorative in order to make themselves understand the kind of sounds that are unfamiliar to them. I have always, since the first time I heard this band, I, I, I considered this a pop band. Uh, it just happens to be with a, a palette that is um, exceptional to, to frames of like harmony that we as a Western culture is unfamiliar with. And that also has to do with you know, the electronics, obviously. It's a very industrial take on pop music, in my opinion. Yeah. And and so I, in high school, I really, really liked Skinny Puppy. And so your cool. guys' music speaks to me. There's there's something about the expression of angst and rage that only industrial music can do. That it's I fe- think so. Yeah. That, uh, like, punk speaks to a part of somebody's soul, but this really captures something about modern life that just punk can't do i mean on a on a basic level as well i think a lot of it has to do with trying to find sounds that are less familiar or, or things you know it'd be really boring if we were just another guitar band and i was playing straight up riffs on a guitar and you know like sweet licks and awesome solos and it's all been done before and i think part of what drives us is is aiming at least to, I mean, we may not necessarily exceed every time, or succeed every time, but we aim at least to, to make new sounds. And a lot of that ends up being 
kind of these strange mechanical industrial sounds. So part of it is is that sense of trying to, I don't know, uh, create aggression and tension in the music, but a part of it is also just the drive to, to find new things. Do you think where you guys are from has anything to do with the kind of music that you're playing? Does that inform it on some level? I probably on some some subconscious level, uh, you know, construction always always being a thing in New York, and uh, you know the sound of trains and squeals. I I tend to hear music in a lot of that, um, and I'm sure that that's entered my subconscious in many ways. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and kind of the cacophony of living in a city, I'm sure, has seeped its way into the music. Well, besides that, I think I think. You know, John Cage lived on like Fifth Avenue and, and 52nd Street for right, something somewhere near there for years and years and years. And you know, the whole world was music to him. And in New York City, it never stops. Like you, you can lay in bed and hear a harmony, like a tone, at any time of the day in New York City. You're never without sound. So your 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 eardrums are constantly vibrating, and there's no way it doesn't have an effect on the sounds you want to produce or or the, the, the result of what you're producing, whether you want it to or not. So what do you say to, you know, recently we had a, a guest and he was talking about how the nature of our spectacle right now is so visual. He, draw, he draws attention to the invisible, like the, the sounds of something don't... The feeling, the feeling of, of modern life, as opposed to, you know, we're just such a visual culture. This is interesting. How do you guys feel about that and participate you know with with the conversation making uh, something quite different than a visual spectacle yeah i mean that that makes a lot of sense to me um i'm trying to think how i hmm, let me think here <laughs> i mean i suppose in that sense that that makes sense of what we're talking about because it's that idea that in many ways at least in this case, the art is is reflecting life, and I think a, a lot of what we try to deal with in the music, if not in the lyrics, is um, the stress of everyday life and uh, the kind of dismal <laughs> reality that our world is in right now. Uh, and and I think that music is meant to our music is meant to to reflect that a little bit. Um, I, I don't know exactly if that's any way of making sense of what's going on, but at least to to try to bounce that kind of feeling back on the world. Well, for me, I don't know. For me, it's like there's so much. I mean, this right now, there's like so much we can't see that we we deal with anyway. Uh, I mean, tangibly, information, data, you know, waves everywhere. That is visual culture. That's like this. How are we going to find this on the internet? That's visual culture. I think mm. musically, we we don't. I don't think it's something we we need to think about. But it, people have said that before about you know coming up with things that are there that you can't see. I don't know. Well, even if we were to look at your two most recent videos. Which they're beautiful, but at the same time they're really minimal as far as videos go because they're they're black and white, and then they're just another layer to the music in some respect. Could you speak about that a little bit? 
Um, yeah, I think we wanted to keep ourselves out of the video. It's, I think the, the first instinct for a band tends to be, like, let's make the video about us and, and insert ourselves visually. Um, and that was just something that we didn't want to do. I, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed, seemed like it'd be more interesting to, I, well, let me back up. I feel like I've, I've, the music itself should be, is, is open for interpretation. And so I guess what we wanted to avoid or what we were hesitant about was, um, really giving a viewer who's watching that video, uh, telling them what they should be thinking uh, when when encountering this music. So it, I think, yeah, that's right, that, that in some ways those visuals are complementing the music um, and enhancing the experience rather than, you know, just, just being like uh, its own thing necessarily. It should be said, though, that the, the conception and direction of those videos was by a, a brilliant videographer named Anthony Sylvester. Yes, yeah. And mm-hmm. and so we worked with him just to kind of to uh, we worked closely with him to kind of say we we want to have these this kind of a feeling to it um, because this is what the music is about or, or this is the kind of emotion that we're working with in this particular song. So um, I think yeah I think your intuition is correct that it was the visuals were complementing the music a little bit and you know we're we're adding to it. Um, and, and, and kind of in service of the music in that sense. But same at the same time, ennobling, <laughs> this is kind of a strange word, but it, it ennobles the music on some level. It doesn't like add to huh. the, the spectacle is what I'm, huh. what I was trying to say. So the, the videos are beautiful, but they're not like a typical music video that it's, that is more splashy, you know, in your face a little bit. I mean, frankly, spectacle is something that I abhor. I think spectacle is is something that we've come to 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 strive for in this culture. Spectacle is spectacle to me is a pejorative. Like, why is it up to me as a musician or as an artist to like create something that's so outlandish and so over the top that it has to be recognizable to everybody? And we're trying to make things that are recognizable to us. Uh, mm. And it doesn't—it like spectacle. Spectacle is not a nice word to me. Uh, mm. Let's talk about alienation. So, like, it seems industrial music back in the the eighties and the nineties, there was you know this this alienation people felt about technology. But it's almost like now we've embraced our robot overlords. <laughs> and so people in the form of <laughs> smartphones you and auto tune and we just we love right. technology so the idea that you're creating this music about the alienation we we feel because of this this machinery that's gotten in between us and reality this is really interesting to me because in in a lot of ways we're embracing technology now yeah i mean there's there's this i constantly experience the sense of despair <laughs> when I mean it's it's a love-hate relationship ultimately I we we've come to depend on a lot of these things I mean I'm talking to you on the smartphone using the internet or you know using a, a, a signal here um that's beaming up into a satellite but uh, I don't know I find myself in some ways 
addicted to to a lot of that um and it's and it's just kind of there's no way it's we can't ever return to the way things were before this entered our lives so it's that that sense that like how do we how do we deal with this and how do we integrate it into our lives in a meaningful and productive way rather than let it consume us um but it's not something that needs to be overthought. I mean, humans have been grappling with technology since the dawn of the of the race. It's like, you know, like people were mad about telephones when telephones debuted. You know, people were mad about letters. Like that lost jobs because in the Middle Ages, you know, people like there were like people literally walked from town to town to deliver news. It's like then, like who cares? Like it's just something else in our lives that we have to deal with, and it just happens to be more prevalent. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's something that that needs to be like, oh my God, this is a problem, but we let it become a problem, which is just to me a metaphor for stress in general. Well, I guess in some ways, what's the difference about now as opposed to when newspapers were being developed um, is is it almost feels like the the pace of that growth is much faster now. Uh, to the point where it's difficult to keep up with. And, I mean, I wonder if it was the same way back then. Yes, when, I think so. Yeah. 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 So so then, you know, maybe as Dale says, we don't really have anything to worry about. It's asymptotic. It's not, we're not, we're not going to reach an endpoint where we're in danger because of technology. We control technology. Like the, Famous last word. <laughs> what about so the Silicon Valley singularity, the the superconsciousness? Have you guys thought about that? It's a joke, man. Come on, like, like <laughs> give me a break. Give me a break. Her, that, that Spike Jones movie, her was not a movie about the singularity. It was a, it was a boring breakup movie, and that's it. <laughs> but what about someone like is it Ray Kurzweil? Yeah. Where he he's an interesting guy, but his stuff is really creepy on some level. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's so weird that we're talking about this because to me, your music almost sounds like you're smashing technology sometimes. Cool. Like just... well, no, that's that's what I was saying. So that there is this alienation from like between the things that get between our humanness and reality. And that's, you know, for yeah. us now it was media, but back in the eighties and nineties, it was more of, of like factories and, you know, m machines of war. So you get these kind of clicks and burps and farts from the machines that are making. And right. something about that. <laughs> yeah. You just described R2D2, what I'm just saying. I, I, I don't mean to like, like, say we, we're not conscious of the technology we're using. It's that, it's that we're overly conscious of it to the point where we're looking back at tools we can use in better ways rather than like always look forward. So if it sounds like we're smashing machines, it's because we're taking probably you know noisemakers that you're unfamiliar with and using them in a way that sounds disruptive. That's wonderful. But I think that there is something to be said for that. I, I think a lot of what's happening now is that people tend to become complacent and uh, don't don't really think about the situation that they're in. Um, you know, it's 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 I, I guess like wearing blinders. And so maybe part of what you're talking about, part of what you're picking up on, is that sense of trying to shake people out of their complacency or, or shake comfort zone. Out of, 
this yeah, exactly. threw me out of my comfort zone for sure. Exactly, exactly. And, and it I was a good feeling, not, though, just to be clear. It was, it was something good. that... Yeah, no, that's good to hear. I mean, I think that's one part of it is the, the technology aspect, but I think also musically, I, I won't lie that this band came from a place of, you know, I, going to a lot of shows myself and seeing a lot of other bands play and sort of thinking... Like, how could I make this more interesting? Or how could we do something that that snaps people out of, you know, the same old boring band dynamic? Um, so in some ways, maybe that's what you're picking up on, too, is that attempt to shape people musically as well. Industrial, and I don't want to generalize, but I'm going to have to. Industrial music was pretty big, you know, in the late 80s and 90s. Is there any scene to speak of now? Uh, you guys are you guys lone wolves out there in the world of? I think it would be presumptuous to say that we're lone wolves and that we're the only people making music that sounds like this. I but, mean, I mean, Nine Inch Nails is better than ever right now. Hmm. Yeah. It's not like we're trying to be a part of the scene though. You're right. You're right. And we, I guess, you take for granted like that. Well, I think also that now that that this kind of music or these kinds of sounds uh, have been around for a while. They've become a little bit more accepted and a little bit more mainstream. So, you know, that I guess that itself is, is a bit of a struggle, too, is to try to uh, not be sucked into that <laughs> in a way. Um, but we very much want to try to blaze our own path in that respect and and, you know, avoid recreating something that, that someone's already done. So just yell at us if we're doing something that someone's already done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty original on my end. Cool, thanks. <laughs> but so then what kind of stuff do you guys listen to? Yeah. Oh. Um, it's, been, it's been a struggle on tour because this is our first tour together and Noah and I are good friends and we, we share a lot of common musical interests, but I just want to listen to, like, gangster rap, and Noah wants to listen to, like, post-punk, and No Wave, and, and that's about the breadth of our interests. <laughs> we got some jazz in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played some Albert Eiler. Uh, we've been listening to Yeezus a lot. Uh, been listening to uh, This Heat a lot. Uh, um, trying to think what else. Killing Joke. Yeah. Um, Bun uh, Big L. Uh, how old are you guys? That, that's a that's a curiosity to me. How how old are you guys? Are you late twenties? Both twenty seven. Yeah. Twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. Did yeah. did we talk yeah. about how you guys met? Did we did we already ask that? No. No. Um, how did how did you guys start up? I mean, where did this begin? <laughs> right. So so the band started about four or five years ago. Um, when I met a guy named Rick, Rick Daniel, um, and Rick and I started the band together, we, we just kind of realized that we had similar tastes in music and general, you know, similarities with our musical philosophies and started making this music. And, uh, we were practicing next to a guy named Nick Sylvester. He had a practice space with his band, Mr. Dream. And the story goes that we were so loud that Nick one day um, stopped his practice to, to kind of just listen to us and then ended up knocking <laughs> on the door and asking if 
you know, we'd want to record something with him. Um, and that's sort of how our record label started, our relationship with our record label, because Nick runs God Mode Records. And um, it came to the point where we recorded the 7-inch with him, and he, you know, we didn't have a label, and so I'd, I'd asked him if we could kind of use his, his own band's fake little label called God Mode. And the next thing I knew, God Mode was a real thing, and working on a distribution deal and finding other bands. Um, so, so that's kind of when things started to take off there. Um, and we recorded this album, and then Rick um, ended up leaving the band because he was getting married and was working a lot and just felt like um, he wouldn't be able to, to devote the kind of attention and, and you know time off for touring that it might require uh, in the wake of this album being released. So um, Rick ended up leaving the band. And then at the same time, Dale was starting to work uh, part-time for God Mode. And uh, when I found out that Rick was leaving, Nick from God Mode suggested I talk to Dale um, because Dale was a drummer, and the rest is history. Yeah, and for me, it's like that—that that was my favorite band on the label before I even started working for the label. And this is the kind of music and the kind of band that I wanted to be in forever. And um, it's just drumming that is not only intuitive to me; it's fun. And it's challenging. So when Nick told me Rick wanted to bow out, just couldn't hang anymore or whatever, I I immediately was like, yo, it's me. I got it. And um, in my head, there was never a doubt that I was I was going to not be in a vet from the second I heard Rick was leaving. But, um, yeah, we've been a band. We've, we've been together for since uh, yeah. July, August. Something like that, yeah. I don't know. But it's um, it's going better than I could have ever hoped. Yeah. Yeah, it's really awesome. Is there a story behind the name? Uh, oh man, unfortunately uh, not. Uh, we were just trying <laughs> to look for. I mean, we were trying to find a name that didn't have much in the way of connotations. Um, you know, we didn't want to be a band with the word V in front of something. Uh, you know, or plural. <laughs> um, and I think one day I had seen someone carrying a shopping bag from a really, like, janky store somewhere in Brooklyn, uh, like a, you know, a bad clothing store, and the store had been called Yvette, but spelled E-Y-V, something like that, E-Y-V-E-T-T-E. And I saw that and just thought it looked kind of interesting um, visually, uh, just just from a graphic design standpoint it looked kind of symmetrical and, and neat and so I put that on our giant list of possible band names and that was the one you know spelled Y B E T T E. that's what stuck so wow yeah. kind of weird <laughs> but that's nice though so it is it is it's can blank canvas so yeah yeah and it, it was yeah, a, I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone named Yvette really in my own life. I, I don't have any relatives or anything named Yvette, so that was, I guess, that was probably another factor that, you know, maybe had we known someone who who had that name, might have been different. But for us, it was a pretty blank canvas. So, is this your first South by Southwest then? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And as a band, for sure. Have you been as a fan? 
Yeah, yeah. I've been. I used to do college radio way back when, and so I've been a bunch of times. And Dale's been here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a writer by profession, so I've been down here before. Oh, cool. Mm. And so you're used to. Is it bigger or less, or what, what would you say about it this year compared to some of your other experiences? Um, it's miserable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty stressful. Uh, so far, I mean, it's only been we're all only on the second day here. But, uh, I mean, every time I come back here, it seems to be bigger and bigger. And, you know, the show we played last night was at some little little bar, but it was, it felt much farther out than shows I'd been to in the past. So I, I think that the commercialism of the, the festival is definitely taking its toll in a way. Um, but there's just we, – we drove into downtown yesterday to pick up, you know, to, like, check in and, and pick up our artist information or whatever, and – uh, just the traffic congestion was unbelievable, and so it's like an hour to drive like three blocks. <laughs> it's insane. It doesn't take that long to work. Like, yeah, but uh, you know it's uh-huh. been fun to run into people, and and it's on the on the positive side. Uh, it, it's been cool meeting other bands and and just kind of making those those types of human connections. I don't I don't mean to to discredit the festival. It's amazing, and like we wouldn't be here if we didn't want to be here, but. There's just a there's just a kind of stress that um, even as New Yorkers it's hard to deal with, and that <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. We're we're both very anxious people in in ways, and it, it gets to us pretty easily. Huh. And it well, looks like your started... schedule is pretty brutal too. You guys are playing just about is it every day for the next seven days, six days. Uh, or we have a re- we have a respite today, but um, that's that's fine with me. Like I'd rather be playing than not. So yeah, I mean that's what we're here for. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. great. It's just funny. Somebody called South by Southwest a circus today. Is that pretty apt? Uh, definitely feels that way. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a giant Doritos vending machine in the middle of town. I would prefer more acrobats, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that there's someone on a unicycle riding around somewhere. Uh, <laughs> well, on uh, that note, have you ever been to Boise, Idaho? Well, I'm I'm from Boise, Idaho, actually. Really? Yes, Dale is. <laughs> no way. Okay, and so then what, did you go to high school in Boise? Uh, I was born in Boise. And then, yes, I went to high school in Boise, and then I did my undergraduate studies in Boise. And then I at moved Boise to State? Boise State, yes. And you got a degree in journalism then or something? Uh, I have a degree in English and a degree in communications and a degree in journalism. Wow. That's so, and then do you know Eric Gilbert personally? Or I do. I, I used to be... I, I, I played in bands in Boise for, you know, from the time I was in sixth grade until the time I left for New York. Um, Gilbert and I used to play, his band Finn Riggins, uh, the staple of Idaho music, and obviously Gilbert, you know, Treeport wouldn't exist without Gilbert, but um, I was in a band called In the Shadow of the Mountain, um, and variously called Black Cat, or Oxen, or ATTN, or any... Any other number of bands in Boise that uh, I played shows with Gilbert, yeah. So we gigged a lot. I've, I've probably played more shows with Finn Riggins than any other band in the U.S. at this point. 
Dum dum dum. Yeah. So yeah, I'm. I was part of the Boise music scene in the mid to late '90s, and so. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, but it was a different world back then, and I mean, it was a different world back then. So Boise has really become. <laughs> it's blossomed. It's so amazing, and so it'll be a really strange experience to come from Austin, which is a different kind of festival to to what Gilbert's got, which is kind of like Linus's pumpkin patch. It's like a really sincere pumpkin patch. And the, <laughs> the great pumpkin is going to come this year because it's just too, like there's no, it, there's no commercialization, but then it's so strange to downtown Boise where you've got lines outside of every club. It's like, what is yeah. going on in this place? Or, or Dale, are you, are you pretty excited about going back home or do you consider Boise home? Uh, I, it's, it's weird now. I, I I do consider Boise home. I'm excited to play with this band in Boise. Um, my, in the Shadow of the Mountain played the first Tree Fort Fest, and I was at Tree Fort Fest last year. You know, like I always go back. Um, cool. I, I go to Idaho a lot. Um, I'm I'm excited to bring this music to Idaho because I feel like this is the kind of stuff I was trying to do in Boise, and just it wasn't there when I was there. And um, I'm, I'm just happy to share things with my friends, my dearest friends. I'm excited to meet Bill's parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, this is what's so, I mean, like our show is about connections and that's what we were doing last night. We were figuring out how, like I didn't plan any, I just, anyone who said yes, you know, they were in our, in our 42 minutes showcase. But then you start figuring things out and you realize that, a lot of the, the people that we're talking to... This person knows that person. Right, it's all connected. This There's this tapestry that we didn't make up that somehow we're... And this guy's from Boise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, you, you find out how small a world it is. I feel like even in even in a giant city like New York, I find myself running into friends on a crowded street more often than, than I would expect. Um, I... I don't know. That's a weird anecdote, but uh, I mean, yeah. You, I, I guess it makes sense on a certain level that if you are playing similar music or you're in relatively similar circle of friends, you're going to know someone who knows someone. Oh yeah, actually, we uh, Dale's reminding me that there's somebody in Boise who who lives in Boise now who I knew when I was in high school in growing up outside of New York City. Uh, she, our bands played together in high school and she now lives in Boise and knew Dale from when he lived in Boise. And, and we found out about this only after like Dale and I had been playing together and she saw on Facebook that we were friends. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 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 another strange. So in our world, we call that a sync. Do you guys have yeah. any like synchronicities that? I mean, just your whole career, basically, sounds like. We talk to people who use music, like they say, they use it kind of like a divination divination tool where they ask a question and then they play a random song and the song like answers the question. And we talk to a lot of individuals who uh, use music, like uh, the whole dark side of the rainbow thing with Pink Floyd and The Wizard of Oz, and they mix the two together and try to sync them up. Things like those. Are those subjects mean anything to you guys? Yeah, I. We were talking about this yesterday, actually, because we we have been have you know we had some equipment issues, we had some 
we we just kind of actually for for this tour we had a lot to do in preparation, getting gear together, getting merchandise together, all kinds of things, and we almost literally just shoved everything into a car and told ourselves that we'd deal with it later when we had a chance. And so that there have been some stressful moments so far, even in the the first you know six or seven days. And uh, Dale and I were talking about how performing actually performing this music because it is so physical um, and because it is so intense live, it it is very much um, a form of stress release uh, for both of us. And, you know, I think in in some ways, intuitively, that's that's where this music came from, too, is is trying to release some kind of tension of everyday life. Um, So I think that's more than anything what this music is for me, is uh, a, a weird form of release. Therapy? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah therapy. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I really don't feel the same unless I play drums in this manner. Like, I, I mean, I, I have a therapist, a real one that I talk to, but like, I don't feel like me unless I get to do this. And it's, it's strange to think about that in this way because, you know, especially on tour, tour is not fun except <laughs> for like half an hour a day. But, like, that half an hour makes everything so much worth it. I mean, so much more worth it that it's just incredible the, the way this music doesn't take a toll on you once you get to play it. Right. right. Do you and, think and, that there... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think, to, to kind of tie this back together of what we were just talking about, in terms of the, the synchronicity aspect and, and making connections, I mean, I find that What's what's blown me away about since the release of this record um, is just, you know, we, we made this record somewhat in a vacuum, just kind of thinking like, well, we have these weird songs, like we like them, we think they're cool, we have no idea what anyone else is going to think, so, you know, who knows when we throw it out in the world, what's going to happen, and what's blown me away is since that, just all of the strangers from around the world who have reached mm-hmm. out to us and, and said you know, that that they get it and that they feel mm-hmm. this music on an intuitive level. Um, and I, I don't know. So I, so I think what happens live, too, is, is something to that effect that, that people who may not even be familiar with this kind of music or these kinds of sounds uh, get it on a on a very basic, almost primal level. They, they understand that energy. Um, and And it's really fun to connect with people in that way. Yeah, and I could see the kids... At the Elcora Shrine, really connecting with this. <laughs> I really hope so. Like, I, One way to find out. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Like, like my parents are gonna be there. I'm like, do you guys have earplugs? Like, you know, it's it's um, yeah. <laughs> like I trust Gilbert's instincts, you know, very very much, and I'm happy to be on such a great bill. But you know, it, I can't help but feel a little nervous because I'm such a homecoming. Yeah. And it's such a strange venue, but it works so well. It's a nice space, and you've got all the Shriners with their hats, and they're selling beer, and they've got their earplugs. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It's a beautiful I can't wait. But they have all the Shriner neon lights and paintings and curtains, and it just it feels otherworldly. It's it's quite – it's borderline cultish. That is so cool. Your music is going to work so well in that space, too, because – and then, yeah. like you were saying, how that half an hour where it's good, it's like 
the the kind of the that spiritual embodied experience that we don't get too often because it's a visual culture we get to do that every now and again at a rock show where we're in our bodies and we're participating as a community in something meaningful yeah absolutely and when i was growing up my my father always talked about you know, make sure that you're in the moment and, and be in the moment and enjoy that. And I mean, to an extent, that sounds really, really cheesy, but I feel like this is kind of the closest way to uh, to do that. For for me, at least, I feel like I become a different person uh, or, or I'm able to, you know, leave myself for a while and just be there and, and focus on what I'm doing at that very moment. And I have no distractions and, you know, nothing in my way really uh, you know, assuming that the show's going going well and nothing's breaking, but <laughs> but for the most part, that's that's the idea for me is that uh, it's an excuse to to yeah leave leave the person that I am on a on a everyday normal basis um, and kind of like leave that anxious person behind mm-hmm. and and do something hopefully bigger than than myself. Well, that was forty two minutes. Thanks for sharing. Oh with man. Us. <laughs> Thank you. It was a blast. You bet. Um, you've been listening to Yvette on SyncBook Radio, a production of the SyncBook.com. More information about the work of Yvette can be found at YvetteYvetteYvette.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like the podcast, please support it by becoming a donor. You'll find the donation links under each episode on the website. And consider setting up a monthly charge. Thanks so much. And what's this about a yellow king? White hot